On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. The Nara's neighbor, Crystal White, just dropped a bombshell revelation. There was a third person at the crime scene with her and Hanu, a woman. Crystal doesn't know her name. Hanu introduced her simply as a friend. I took her as what he said to me. She's a friend. That's the way he betrayed her. But I just thought, that's a bizarre friend, because if I was a friend, I'd be like, I don't need to see the dead body. She wanted to see it. I ask Crystal to backtrack, and she starts from the beginning. She's outside getting groceries from her car when she sees Hanu on the phone, acting strangely. He says his wife and son are not breathing. So Crystal says she tells Hanu to end his phone call and dial 911. Minutes later, a mysterious woman shows up. She gets out the car and she starts speaking to him in their language. And she was like, well, let me see. That's what she said to him. I said, okay. So I went in there too. I was like, well, you don't really want to see it. She didn't really talk to me. She like ignored me. She was still having a conversation with him the entire time. At this point, Crystal had already been inside the apartment. She had quickly exited the first time after she realized Sassi and Anish were beyond saving. But then Crystal went back into the apartment a second time, following behind Hanu and his friend. She walked in the apartment like she's been there before. She was in front of us. She was first. She went straight to the back. I stood in the doorway. He stood on my right-hand side. She went around the bed and said, wow. She didn't get emotional. She didn't scream like I did. She didn't do anything. When she said, wow, what was she looking at? Was she looking at the the wife or was she looking at the the young boy? She was looking at the wife's head. The wife was sitting in front of the bed. She walked in the room. She went all the way around the bed and she said, wow. Then she said, oh my God. And that was it. And started speaking their language and they were talking. I just thought her whole demeanor was off. I was like, what? Did she go closer to the bodies at all? Did she kind of go closer and look at them? Yeah, she did. She did go close and look at him. The little boy was laying down. She was looking at his eyes. She bent over like this and just was looking at his face, his neck. And this was with no expression on her face or any kind of uh, fear in her eyes? None. I found that very 
unusual for a person. The way she went and she looked at the back of the woman's head, the way she looked at the, walked around the bed and said, wow, oh my God. She showed no emotion and it made me look at her in a different light like, did you do this? I'm Tinku Ray. And I'm Ben Adair. This is Strangeland, Season 2, Murder in Maple Shade. Episode 11, The Friend. Crystal says she went into shock at the sight of the victims. She remembers being so overcome by emotion, she felt sick to her stomach. But when Crystal started to process what she'd just seen, the aftermath of a double murder, she turned to Hanu to question him. I was talking to him to make sure he was okay, but also to get information. I said, well, did you call your wife? What was the last time you called her? He said, oh, I speak to her, you know, in the morning before I left for work. I said, you haven't called home because it was late. I said, you haven't called her since early this morning? He said, no. I was like, does anyone else have a key to your door? He said, no. You can actually hear part of this exchange on the 911 call. Who has the key to your home? Who lives in the I just opened the door. And that's all. The door is open? I don't know. I, who lives in the house? I don't have the energy to Who has keys to your home? Crystal asked. Who lives next door to you? Was the door already open? She was searching for clues about who could have done this horrendous act. But Crystal couldn't get much out of Hanu. He was having a side conversation with the other woman. Crystal's not sure exactly what was said because they were speaking in another language, but she believes the woman instructed Hanu to stop answering her questions because after that, he went quiet. The female interjected and wouldn't allow him to talk to me no more because I was asking questions and he would look at her and communicate and he would stop talking to me. Hanu then asked the woman to borrow her phone to call Ravi Patluri. I need to call you, Ravi Patluri. Can you give me your phone? Remember, Ravi Patluri was Sasi's cousin, though he seems to have been much closer to Hanu. So Hanu asks for the woman's phone to call Ravi, and she responds. It's a bit hard to make out because of the crosstalk, but it sounds like she says, I left my phone inside the car. The dispatcher asks Hanu who he's talking to. Who else is in the house with you? Right now, my neighbor came. Right now, my neighbor came. Hanu could mean Crystal, but maybe he means this other woman. Was she also a neighbor? Crystal thinks this woman was the same person Hanu was speaking to on the phone when she first arrived, before he called 911, and that given her quick arrival, she probably lived nearby. Why do you think that? Because when she got there, you know, it's like she just ran out the house. She had no coat. It's March. It was freezing. So to me, it was like she was in a rush. So I think she, he was talking to the girl on the phone. And she ran out the house just the way she was. Do you know where she lived? 
No. I don't, I, don't, I don't know where she lived. But she must have lived quite close by Fox Meadow, if not within the complex. Correct. Did you tell all of this to the police? Yeah, I did. Well, I didn't talk in detail about how she went in the second time. They really didn't want to know that. He just wanted to know if I would touch the bodies. Crystal asked the police if they'd questioned the other woman about touching the bodies because she'd had such a peculiar interest in them. And they were like, oh, she's just a family friend. She, she's not important. She's a friend. That's what they said. According to Crystal, investigators weren't interested in hearing about the woman or details about the crime scene. She said they asked very basic procedural questions, dismissed what she said, and didn't write much of it down. We have no way of knowing if detectives ever followed up on any of the information Crystal shared. But we're going to. That's coming up after the break. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Brubble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Issa as host Issa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. There were a lot of things about the crime scene that didn't add up for Crystal. Like what was that white powder all over the floor and on Anisha's body? Whatever it was coming out the vents, it covered me. I was walking and my whole shoe was covered with this white powdery substance. It's such a curious detail and might offer some insight into the murders. We've mulled it over and over and come up with some theories. Theory number one, it could be a kind of bleaching agent. Bleaching agents degrade blood samples, making it hard to extract traceable DNA. So it could be that the murderer used a bleach powder to cover his or her tracks and make sure they didn't leave behind any DNA evidence. This seems plausible, given that Crystal says there was a suspicious lack of blood at the crime scene. She says there was one large pool of blood near Sasi, but that's it. No blood on the bed or on Anish. Instead, Crystal said that Anish was covered with this white substance. So maybe the murderer cleaned up the blood stains and then, for good measure, covered certain areas of the crime scene with an extra layer of this white powder. But Crystal also said the white powder was coming out of the air vents in the apartment. So here's theory number two. White powder around air vents can be a sign of carbon monoxide buildup inside the ventilation system. Carbon monoxide is the byproduct of a gas heater and can accumulate inside a residence if it's not properly vented. A 
and breathing in these fumes can cause people to become weak and disoriented, lose consciousness, and even die. What if the murderer blocked an exhaust vent in order to poison Sussy and Anish and immobilize them? It sounds outlandish, but this might explain why neighbors didn't hear any screaming during the stabbings. We also know from a housing inspection report that a lot of the apartments in Fox Meadow were missing carbon monoxide detectors. And Crystal says that it was unbearably hot inside the Nara's apartment, like the heat had been on full blast. So when I walked in there, it was very, very hot. It was so hot, I felt like I couldn't breathe. The only way to prove this theory would be to test a sample of the white powder or to check the level of carbon monoxide in Sussy and Anisha's blood, in which case we'll need to see a copy of their toxicology reports, usually part of an autopsy. So we submit a public records request for the autopsies to the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office. We go there and check the status of our request. Assistant Prosecutor Michael Sullivan says they're working on it. You are able to get a copy of the autopsy report? Okay. And so the autopsy report will come from you, or...? Yeah, we can get that, too. Okay. And so we'll, we'll get, or get these from you. Soon. Yeah, we'll... Uh, I'll do what I can to get it to you in the next couple of days. Okay, well, great. Thank you so Thank much. You. But they don't follow through, or give us any reason why they've decided not to give us the document. By not responding to our initial records request, the prosecutor's office has violated New Jersey's Open Public Records Access Law. So, we file a lawsuit against the office to force it to comply. Then, six weeks after we were promised the documents, we finally get our hands on the autopsies. But still, they don't include a toxicology report. So the mysterious white powder remains a mystery. We pursued the lead as far as we could. But we're not law enforcement, so our access is limited. But a strange substance found at the scene of a double homicide? That's a detail that shouldn't be ignored. But the biggest lead Crystal's given us is this new mystery woman. Crystal says that on the night of the murders, she didn't know anything about her. Only what Hanura told her, that she was a friend. But then, one day not long after, Crystal went to a Dunkin' Donuts near Fox Meadow. It's a different Dunkin' Donuts than the one we visited in an earlier episode, but, you know, it's New Jersey. Lots of Dunkin' Donuts. Anyway, this location is also Indian-owned, and it's something of a local hangout for the Indian community. When Crystal stopped in, people started chatting with her about the murders, and she says they even knew about her role at the scene. They were like, yeah, she's the one that went into the apartment and saw the dead bodies. Everybody knew. I didn't know how they knew, because I didn't tell anybody. But anyway they would start having conversations about how he, the husband, and the girl that was with him that night was working out together next door at the Retro Fitness Center every day before they would go to work. Remember, Retro Fitness is where Thurman Jennings said he saw Hanu exercising just days after the murders. So this is the second time we've heard about this particular gym. It's right next door to the Dunkin' Donuts, where Crystal says she heard about Hanu and this woman's daily routine. They said he would buy her coffee, and then after they they would sit there for a little bit, drink their coffee and donuts, leave, and they would work out together next door. They said they would do it twice. They would come in the morning and in the evening. 
So they would always go to the um, Dunkin' Donuts and leave the Dunkin' Donuts and go next door to work out. Every day? Every day. Crystal also heard that Hanu and the woman were co-workers at Comcast. How do you know that that woman worked at Comcast? One of the gentlemen that was at Dunkin' Donuts told me. They said they worked together. Crystal tried to let it go, the odd behavior of that mysterious woman on the night of the murders. But it keeps plaguing her, and she comes up with her own theory. So I brushed it off until, you know, I start putting two together, and then I was like, God, I just feel really strange about the woman, the way she walked in the apartment and wanted to go back in and look at the bodies and examine it. I just think that, you know, something's not right here. Now, if I say put two and two together, I say perhaps maybe he could have done it, but I don't think he did it. I think she might have done it. This is pure speculation on Crystal's part. So I asked her why she thought that. What would be the motive? I think she wanted to be with him. That's the only thing I could think of, and that was the only way of him getting out of the relationship, is getting rid of her. But instead of sending her back home, they killed her because stabbing someone is a crime of passion, especially in the face. Crystal signals to me that she's done talking. She's had enough. Off tape, she says the murders traumatized her, and revisiting those memories, really gruesome memories, has left her emotionally spent. The interview is over. Crystal wishes me luck, and we say our goodbyes. Crystal's account of this mystery woman has me thinking back to something we heard from local reporter Brian Woods, that shortly after the murders, authorities shared an unusual detail. They said that they didn't rule out that it could have been another woman who did it, which was like an interesting thing to hear. Uh, Most of these crimes are committed by men, so that kind of stands out. And we're also thinking back to Sasu's letter. Could the woman Crystal saw with Hanu on the night of the murders be the same woman that Sasi said Hanu was having an affair with? Our investigation continues right after the break. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Everything that Crystal has been telling us seems to track with everything we know about Deepa Ajit the woman that Sasi says was having an affair with her husband Hanu. 
First, according to Crystal, the woman showed up at the crime scene minutes after Hanu's phone call. And we know Deepa lived in Fox Meadow, just a two-minute drive from the Nara's apartment. Second, Crystal heard the woman worked at Comcast, where an anonymous source also told us Deepa was employed. Third, Crystal's description of the woman at the crime scene is similar to Thurman's description of the woman he saw with Hanu every morning. She was taller than me. I'm 5'4". She looked like she might have been about 5'9". She was thin. She was slim. Not too skinny, though. She had a little a little melon in her skin. She was a little tan because he was darker skin. You could tell she was, what you say, Indian. She wasn't that dark. A tall, thin Indian woman with a light brown complexion. It's a pretty broad description. We need some way to narrow it down. We look for photos of Deepa Ajit online to see if Crystal and Thurman recognize her. But there aren't any. We can't find a single one anywhere, which is a little odd. In fact, the only digital trail we find at all is a LinkedIn page, which doesn't include a profile pic. So we head to the strip mall near Fox Meadow where Hanu and his friend reportedly spent time together. I'm hoping to find someone at the gym or the coffee shop that can tell us more about what Crystal heard. As I get closer to the row of businesses, I notice that the retro fitness is closed for good. The lights are out and it's empty inside. So I go to the Dunkin' Donuts and approach the employee behind the counter. We're doing an investigative story on, there was an Indian woman and her son who was murdered. We were told by somebody that you knew the, the husband and that he used to come here. That's what we were told. No, okay. I don't know, sorry. Okay, that they, he used to come to the fitness, the gym next door. Mm-hmm. And yes, yes, that, that was there. Yes, the retro fitness, yep. right? Retro fitness, I saw. So apparently he and some other lady used to come and they used to work out at the gym. Mm-hmm. Mm. We were told this in our investigation, yep. so... Do you remember any of no. that? No. I was not here. That's a shame. <laughs> but do you remember, who was here at the time? Can we, any way we could get hold of them? He passed away last year, massive heart attack. I'm so sorry. He was here for the last 19 years. His wife was also here, mm-hmm. but she left for India. Okay, uh, after he passed away. Yeah, yeah, after he passed away. Once again, time is working against us. The six years since the murders have turned another promising lead into a dead end. Retro Fitness is closed, the Dunkin' Donuts owner died, and it seems it's no longer the hangout it used to be. We check various private databases of property and employment records, and we do find some good info. We find Adipa Ajit in a small Pennsylvania town about an hour west of Philly. We reach out to her through an email address we find and call a cell phone number several times. Leave messages. Nothing. Then, we try calling from a number with a New Jersey area code. This time, someone answers. Hello. Hi, my name is uh, Tinku. I'm a journalist working on a story, and I believe that you might be able to help me. Do not ever call this number again, okay? I'm sorry, uh, did I get the wrong number? Why do you say that? Just don't call this number. This is a private number. Do not call this number ever again. 
Do not okay, but I, I mean, but why? I mean, I don't understand. I, I, I'm doing a story. I don't know you. I don't really care. Okay, don't call this number. No, I understand, and I'd, I'd be happy to tell you exactly what and we're trying to find out. It's the last warning before you see a lawsuit, okay? I'm telling you, okay? You guys have been bothering me so many different ways, okay? You will see a lawsuit, okay, for disturbing my peace, okay? You need to stop right now. Please do not call this number ever again. That escalated quickly. We don't know who the man is that answered the phone, but he never said we had the wrong number. He never asked why a journalist would be calling and threatening a lawsuit over a cold call. Seems like maybe we struck a nerve. But we're undeterred because we still don't know if Deepa received our message. We need to give her a chance to speak given the allegations made by Sasi, and we still need to determine if she's the woman who went into the crime scene with Crystal and Hanu. Our research turns up a property deed with Deepa Ajit's name on it. In August 2018, Deepa purchased a home in Westchester, Pennsylvania. So Betsy and I drive to the address listed on the document. As we pull into her neighborhood, we discover that this house is a huge upgrade from Fox Meadow. Look at this house. Oh, that's very pretty. Very pretty house. Just look at how well-maintained these um, gardens are. And the neighborhood is really hilly. Feels very rural. Very private. Very private. Some of the homes are just hidden by the trees. You can barely see them. In a quarter mile, your destination will be on the right. We almost miss the house because it's surrounded on two sides by tall pine trees. But then we spot a clearing and a large stone-front colonial-style house with a Tesla and a Lexus SUV parked in front of the garage. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is where she lives. It's a grand house, very large, and it's secluded. You can barely see the house from the road. The listing for the property says it's worth close to $800,000. We find Deepa's name on the deeds of two other recently purchased properties. So it seems like her financial status has changed dramatically in the years following the murders. We add that to our growing list of questions. Our plan is to approach Deepa outside of her home when she's coming or going, because if we knock on her front door, she probably won't answer. Or even worse, the man on the phone might. He was pretty aggressive to us on the phone. We've obviously tried to contact them a few times, and my fear is that he could actually become, I don't know if he'd be physically violent, but definitely I don't see him being um, friendly, let's say, to say the least. So we park in a nearby driveway, looking for any signs of life in the house. We're waiting and waiting. And then the black SUV pulls out of the driveway and hightails it down the road. So we've been waiting for Deepa to come out of the house. Finally, uh, her car moved. It is recording. So finally, uh, we see she pulls out in her black SUV. We are now following her. 
driving along um, the road that her house is on. Let's see where she's going. She really was gunning it down the road. Okay, I'm taking a right. Okay, she's pulled into a Wawa. We follow the car into the parking lot of a Wawa. It's a convenience store that's all over Pennsylvania and New Jersey. If it's deeper in the car, this is probably our only chance to talk to her. So we have to move fast. We approach the car. There's an Indian woman sitting in the driver's seat. She's tall and thin with light brown skin, just like Crystal and Thurman said. The woman appears to be in her early to mid 40s. She's texting on her phone and doesn't see us until we tap on her window. Hi there. Are you Deepa? By any chance? Could this be the Deepa we're looking for? We find out on the next episode of Strangeland, which starts right now. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at NJM.com.